Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. The stoplight ahead shone red, and my leg was supposed to move to the brake pedal without a thought. Instead, it stiffened into a painful spasm and hit the gas pedal. My world went into slow motion as I swerved to avoid ramming into the UPS truck in front of me. I felt my cheeks bounce and my body flail like a ragdoll as my car jumped the curb. The sounds of screeching metal and shattering glass succumbed to silence. I awoke to the sounds of mechanical whirring and buzzing. I flirted with consciousness in an aura of claustrophobia and attempted to look around to make sense of my surroundings. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Shelley Hoover, an extraordinary woman who has outlived and outlasted doctors' predictions following her diagnosis with ALS, a terminal disease. Having lost the use of her hands, Shelley writes, using a Microsoft Surface tablet whose camera is able to follow her eyes. She's filled with gratitude and strengthened by the powerful bonds created when women support each other. The characters in her book come from different centuries and face different challenges. Janine is struggling with her own ALS diagnosis Cora overcomes horrendous tragedy and pain, and Amadehi surmounts her mother's psychosis and the loss of a child. Their stories are woven together, and the women finally meet through the magic of a talisman on the banks of the river. Hi, Shelley. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Gilly. I'm so happy to be here. So the first thing I'd like to know is, has grappling with ALS gotten harder for you during this difficult time due to the COVID-19 global pandemic? You know, it's interesting because my mobility is so limited. My life hasn't changed a whole lot. I uh, miss coffee with the girlfriends, my book club, but we're connecting online. But I live a fairly socially distant life simply because I have no mobility. So in that sense, welcome to my world. Wow. Wow. How did you come to write Timeless Sisters? I found that becoming a grandmother made me appreciate my maternal line far more than I had previously. I loved my grandmas and cherished their wisdom. And when I became a grandma, I thought, how am I going to pass that knowledge to my daughter and granddaughter? So I wanted to write a book about being grateful, finding gratitude regardless of circumstance, 
And so I married the two. Mm. Why did you give it the subtitle Peace at the River? Well, the women in the stories all live in the same place by the river, just several hundred years apart. And all the women are looking for peace to ground the crazy that they've come across in their life. I'm hearing children in the background. Is that your grandchildren? Yeah. So cute. (laughs) How did you decide to set everything in Western North Carolina? I've been fascinated with the indigenous people. And I found really the most information that I could research was about the Cherokee people. Um, Sorry, the Cherokee people in Western North Carolina. Of course, it's all things that white people have written about the people of Western North Carolina. Um, But there is an Eastern band of Cherokee that has um, information I could research. And it is a beautiful part of the country. Hmm. So it's 2014. And Janine is about to start another year of teaching. She uh, steps driving to school. She steps on the gas pedal instead Mm -hmm. of the brake and has an accident. And it seems like just like an accident. So was there any reason for anyone to think that it was something worse? No, and that she, she knew something was wrong, Mm. but wasn't able to articulate what was going on. It takes a really long time for her to get a diagnosis. How does her story parallel yours? Well, it takes about a year. And really the most similar parts of our story with me and Janine is our onset of our symptoms and the diagnostic process. That was very similar. At some point, Janine muses about how the outside world sees wheelchairs without always being able to recognize the humanity of whoever's mm-hmm. sitting in the wheelchair. How, do, how did you deal with that in your life? Oh, I joke that the minute my bum hit the chair, I lost about 40 IQ points. <laughs> uh, people, I, I don't think people have malice. It's done with love and concern, but I am certainly uh, treated very differently. Fragile, um, not as intelligent, and then throw in how my voice is slow. I sound um, like I'm not all, all my uh, cylinders aren't firing, but I um, I give older people a lot of grace. Children get a lot of grace. 
because they're curious, um, but it is an interesting phenomenon um, that I don't think one would understand unless they had some severe physical disability themselves. I totally uh, empathize and uh, remember when I, I, uh, I'm a cancer survivor and when I was stuck um, going through all lots and lots of treatments, people intended to look at me and askew a little bit like something was wrong with me that I, I don't know how it was. I don't know how they came up with that, but yeah, I understand it. And yeah, I don't think people mean um, to be dismissive or. Mm, yeah. So Janine gets accepted into a trial. Can you discuss how these trials work and if there's been any progress on ALS research and your own experience with that? I've been in quite a few trials. I found out after the fact that I was in the placebo arm of every trial I've been in, (laughs) which is frustrating, but it takes billions of dollars and years to get a treatment available. We do have some hope in the pipeline with stem cell treatments that could be available in a couple of years. So progress is there. When I was diagnosed about seven years ago, there was no hope. So I certainly hope isn't a strategy, but it is a fuel. For sure. Oh, oh, that's that's lovely. I love how you said that. So your book consists of three intertwined stories from three different centuries. And you talked about being able to research uh, about the uh, Cherokee population. But how did you research the lives and customs of um, Cora? Oh, a, a lot of reading. Um, there's a lot of books available about that era. Um, I've read um, biographies, autobiographies of of people who had been enslaved um, to learn uh, what their experience is. It's not so much my story to tell, but I wanted to show Cora who had been enslaved, that she was a powerful, intelligent, determined woman who overcame so many obstacles. So I thought um, at the um, African American Museum in Washington, D.C., I left that museum feeling so um, encouraged how the people who had been enslaved were portrayed. And that is very powerful and determined people. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to convey that in Cora. She's just a child uh, during the Civil War. Can you tell us a little bit about her trauma? 
Well, she ends up living with Mama Hattie, who is a a free woman who runs an orphanage out of her home and brings in children who were orphaned by the war or lost um, and needed a place. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why does Cora refuse um, the, the overtures of Miss Hattie's son? She, because of what had happened in her life, she felt damaged and not good enough for love and that her past defined her. And I framed it that way because I know women who walk around today with shame or guilt and don't feel um, that they deserve love. And I wanted to share a story of overcoming that so women might be able to identify with Cora. How much fun did you have uh, writing about the way Cora exacts her revenge? (laughs) It gives, that's why I love being an author. Through telling stories, you can um, live out things that you would like to see in your own life. So it gives you a little of that, (laughs) finally, you know something you may not be able to do in real life, I can live that in my stories. Now tell us a little bit about the your third woman, Amadehi, a young Cherokee mm-hmm. in 1663. She is a misunderstood child who has... Um, just her mother and grandmother. She um, suffers great loss and looks for a way to honor people that she has lost, yet move forward and live a life of dignity and feeling loved. Hmm. She falls in love ultimately with a woman. Can you talk about how this was accepted as perfectly natural in Cherokee culture? Yeah, it's funny. As I was thinking about the characters and the struggles they would encounter, it was difficult in her culture to find something that wasn't easily overcome. First, I thought, okay, 
her husband will leave, but women owned everything. So there wasn't a financial hardship. Um, so she does end up suffering loss. But in the culture, um, being attracted to the same sex wasn't looked down upon as it used to be, and in some cases still is in our culture. They were actually revered as being able to identify with both cultures are both genders, rather. Mm-hmm. It was so interesting. Um, I don't want to give away anything, but what can you tell us about how the three characters ultimately meet at the river? There's a sacred talisman passed down the maternal line that allows women to meet regardless of space and time. And given a reality of that, I think women today can still draw on that metaphorically when we look back at wisdom and encouragement that we can glean from our sisterhood. So it has kind of a um, uh, non-realistic in the sense of physically transporting to a river to meet with the sisterhood. I want us and the audience to be able to draw on that power in their own life and find strength from this sisterhood. Ooh, I, we should all want that. That's a lovely right? idea. Yeah. Um, can you tell me, how, tell us all, how are you doing now? And, and then can you also tell us what are you working on now? Sure. In the ALS world, I'm considered a very slow progressor. Um, you're given two to five years to live, and I'm on year seven. So about to start year eight. Woohoo! That sounds right? great. <laughs> I am extremely grateful. And I can still breathe. I can still eat. Um, my talking is limited, but I have technology that will be able to talk for me if my voice goes. So in the scheme of things, I'm doing well. And gratitude, being present in the moment, is certainly key to that. And my, I have about three projects in the works. Um, my current story I'm co-authoring with my mother, and it's called In Ruby's Shoes. And Ruby was my grandmother, and she loved her shoes. 
So I'm telling a fictional story of a woman who came of age in the Depression, but we're telling this story through her shoes and what she was doing in her life when she wore a particular pair of shoes. Secondly, I have Hannah's story, who is Janine, uh, Janine's daughter in Timeless Sisters. So that will be the sequel to that book. And the third project. Oh, well, there's, I had a tweet go viral that was uh, quite comical, but talking about people who have achieved a dream later in life. So I talked about my book and I said, I typed that bleep with my eyes talking about how I type on the keyboard with my eyes. So someone replied to the tweet, you have to write your memoir and Mm -hmm. call it, I type that bleep with my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got to follow you on Twitter. (laughs) All three projects sound wonderful. I'm just wondering where you find the time to write three Uh, different books. (laughs) Well, that is the joy of having ALS. I'm unable to move. So I don't cook, I don't clean, I don't do laundry. <laughs> you might also need to write a book called The Joy of Having ALS, because yes. that hasn't been written. <laughs> and, or I could call it Life at Butt Level. <laughs> Shelly, it was so nice meeting you and so lovely talking about your books and your projects and your amazing positive attitude. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Gilly, I'm just thrilled to share my story. And I want anyone who reads Timeless Sisters to find a place where they have joy and gratitude in their own life, regardless of circumstance. Amen. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking with Shelley Hoover, author of Timeless Sisters, Peace at the River. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Books Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle's an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creativity community. As NBN listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash nbn forward slash join.